Welcome to the Celluloid Mirror, a film discussion podcast brought to you by Four Mile Circus. Welcome to this very special mini episode that is our final episode of season two, which we just concluded. I am Nicole Solomon. I am one of the two hosts of this program. And with There's me two today, hosts? Who's the other host? Well, that's you, Sean. And I guess oh, the fact that you didn't know that- I'm the other host, ex- Sean Mannion. You are, and the fact that this is news oh. to you explains a lot of things. It does, but like how I just don't pay attention at all. Well, like you guys mentioned movies, and I gotta make up like what I think about it because I've never seen any of them. You don't watch movies. Sean doesn't watch, watch movies. movies. He's just I don't here watch for movies. his. That's how the devil gets in. It's true. Be careful of the devil coming in to your eyeballs via the television screen. Exactly. And yeah, Sean's weirdly not a movie fan. He's just here for his stellar improv skills. Exactly. Just just like, it sounds like I watched the movie, but I didn't. Never did. Never have. Never seen a movie. But hopefully you listeners have seen some movies, including um, movies we talked about recently. Our last episode was about Robert Zemeckis's we were just having mm-hmm. a little conversation about how I am can't incapable. Can't pronounce Zemeckis. I, I can't pronounce Zemeckis. I've been saying Zemeckis since I was a child, and I, I feel don't like plan that's a to racism. stop. What against what? Where? I don't know. I don't know, but I feel like it is. I'm being racist against other white people. Okay. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> where's Where's Robert Zemeckis' family from? Is Is that Is that a Greek name? Are you anti-Greek? Definitely not to my knowledge. Sorry. I'm going to have to look it up. To our Greek listeners that I have been mispronouncing Robert Zemeckis' name for a long time. We'll look into this, but... Lithuanian. Um, there okay. you go. His father was Lithuanian-American, so you're anti-Lithuanian. Yeah, that's it. Now that we've got that all squared away, what... Uh, what else were we going to talk about? So so we watched, or people should have watched, Robert Zemeckis's Back to the Future and Hans, uh, not Hans, Johannes's, Johannes Gretens for Firthner's Masking Threshold, which we covered last time with Johannes Gretens Firthner. Yes, it uh, was a historic episode for us. We have never had the filmmaker of one of the films that we discussed on the show nor have we ever discussed a film that, at least for one brief shining moment, had a 100% fresh rating on Rotten Tomatoes. Exactly. So it was Speak- a, a episode of firsts. And, and you know, I mean, obviously, I, I would assume that most people who listen to the show have probably seen or thought about seeing Back to the Future. But, Nicole, is there some way that they'll be able to watch Masking Threshold? Because Masking Threshold was not publicly available when we recorded the episode, which is really not fair to our listeners. No, it's not fair to our But is there some way listeners. at some point that they'll be able to watch that? You know what, Sean? I got some news for you and our listeners, which is that, as as we mentioned on the episode, Masking Threshold has been acquired by Drafthouse Films. Mm-hmm. But now what we can share, which we could not share then, is that Masking Threshold will be in select Alamo Drafthouse theaters starting on September 30th of that's this very September. So end of the month, this month in select cities, you can see Masking Threshold at 
the Alamo Draft House. I believe it is coming here to Brooklyn. I have not been to the Alamo Draft House since Sean and I saw The Invisible Man in March 2020. But I I may mask up. Hey, appropriate appropriate title for this, huh? I might I might strap on my N95. Honestly, listeners, this isn't a film I really want to eat during anyway, so not get refreshments and just, you know. You're going to um, miss out on those making it angry pizzas. You know what? Because I, I have been going to Alamo for most of the last year. Well, so. some of us have long COVID and have been forbidden by our doctors from eating angry pizzas in the Alamo draft house unless we want to make our symptoms a lot worse. So mm, I will not do pizza. that. I will probably just put on a mask if I go and enjoy this this film that I like so very much and I've seen a few times. Um, if you are not if you are like I usually am and are not going to theaters or if Masking Threshold is not coming to an Alamo draft house near you, don't fret. Sean, there's another way our listeners can watch this film. Do you know what it is? No, because I don't do my homework. Great. Well, that's why I'm here to make this group project all cohere like nobody did on Thor Love and Thunder. Sorry, different conversation. Maybe we can talk about that later. And Sean, honestly, you're you're a much better participant in group projects than what appeared to be the case for a lot of Love and Thunder, if that sentence made sense. So where can people watch Masking Threshold? <laughs> they will be able to watch it starting October 7th digitally. It's going to be available for you to watch at home. I don't know the details of if it's going to be like you can rent it and buy it or what, but you can get it digitally via Drafthouse Films starting October 7th. So that's less than a month away. Definitely recommend you do that. And I have another recommendation about Johannes's films and our listeners and do you know what it is, Sean? That his film, next film, Rise and Nest, is going to be a fantastic fest. You did do your homework. You did do your homework. Um, Johannes's new film, the horror comedy Rats and Nest, which I really enjoyed, is going to be at Fantastic Fest this month as part of their Fantastic Fest at Home series called Burnt Ends. I'll put a link in the show notes to more info about that. So I believe you may actually be able to see that, buy a ticket and see it, even if you are not at the actual physical festival. But if you are at the actual physical festival, I think Johannes is going to be there with some cocktail mixing robots. That's a cool thing he does. He does a lot of projects other than making films that I like, like making robot friends for all of us. So go Go find him. Say hi. I saw Terminator. They're never your friend. You know, but sometimes they are. If you've seen Terminator, like, I mean, did but you see T2? Robots are not your friend. Yeah, they had to reprogram him. I, he's not your friend. He's a slave. Well, you can reprogram these robots as well. And I mean. They're not your could... friends then. Then they're just slaves. You're advocating slavery. Semantics, semantics. <laughs> Go see Johannes Grensfurtner at Fantastic Fest. If you are there, tell them we tell him we said hi. Check out Rots and Nest. It's a very unique film. If you are a Joe Dante fan, you should definitely watch this film. Okay. That's all I'll say about that. And we will we'll have a link to that in the show notes. There's also a great new masking threshold trailer that's very creepy that 
uh, Draft House Films put out. We'll put that in the show notes. And let me just say, if you haven't listened to our finale because you're like, oh, I haven't seen Masking Threshold, I don't want to spoil it. If you watch this Draft House Films trailer, that covers like 95% of the spoilers <laughs> from our episode. So like, mm. if you've seen the trailer, you may as well listen to our episode. Anything we reveal in the episode, you would probably be able to figure out by watching the trailer anyway. So exactly. And, it and, and I don't think it messes up the experience. It's it's not about no. the plot it per se, then it doesn't give away that little Kim is the is the murderer the whole time. Sean. <laughs> well, now everything's ruined. All right. That bye, probably everybody. should have been a reference to something, but it it's not, in case anybody's wondering. It's just whatever floated into sean's brain exactly but that's so that's was our last episode sean did anyone like give us any feedback on that episode sure hold on let me see here that's not what i'm doing there we go i mean we got two comments that were basically the same comment uh across some social media so i'm just going to read one of them because they're both kind of arguing the same thing and it had to do with we shared that video where johannes is talking about how watching back to the future as an adult he kind of he's 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 a little concerned about the lack of class consciousness in the in the way that biff was ultimately punished because if the 80s are known for anything in film it's their class consciousness um, reaganomics was great for workers it was amazing so anyway so this this one comment that is representative of both comments uh really is i don't think the humiliation is because of class i think it's more that he works for and has to be nice to a man he bullied and looked down on yes obviously that's, that's about but, class but the way that they structure it is that well, first of all, like in the in the in the original timeline, and like uh, on a class, as far as class, like they're both kind of semi equal. Like Biff is his supervisor, but he's not exactly like rich or anything like that. He's 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 He's, He's above. It's like upper middle class versus middle class, whatever that fucking meant in the eighties. Well, I would I would Ish. argue that it's actually the the end is more of that. At the end, okay. George and Lorraine are more upper middle class, or maybe rich, and Biff is this sort of schlubby like car detailer. Basically, I don't even know what their job was. At he the, was waxing at the, beginning the car. Of the movie. But he he's was waxing wax the car at the end. At the, and at like the, at the he's, end, yes. he's personally doing it. So he's doing, you know, manual labor, which is at least implied. He definitely, definitely was not. So there's a class. There's a shift yeah. in Biff's class location. However, we want yes. to specifically define it. And that is a big part of the bully comeuppance at the end. Does that mean I'm saying you are classist for enjoying that moment? I'm not saying that. You're probably classist for other reasons. <laughs> not not you this exactly. not you sean i mean or, i am i am sure like, we all are like it, i don't it's i i view these things differently than you know i'm not here to be like your favorite film's actually problematic because of course it is like it's of course they, it they is. all are and we're here to they're talk all products about it. of their time 
and their creators and the economy of entertainment at the moment and all of that business. And Mm -hmm. it's like, you can feel however you want about it. I mean, Cruel Intentions is one of my favorite movies. People like- And it's super, it's super problematic. I mean, Um, Cruel Intentions is the one film that's not problematic, Sean, actually. That's why I raised it. So I don't appreciate you saying that. Nothing problematic about a film whose protagonist is a rapist. As we've already established in this episode, you are racist against Lithuanians and whatever thing I just made fun of you for a little bit ago that I forgot. I'm all of that. I'm all that. All of the terrible things, but like, well, I was actually just semi-seriously. I was actually having a related conversation with uh, with a coworker earlier this week. Because, you know, when it comes to, like, the problematic nature of, like, film and stuff like that, when we're talking about, like, Hollywood films or or films that have, like, any kind of budget, like, one of the things that ends up bothering me a little bit is sometimes these films get called out and sometimes the filmmakers get called out. And sometimes the way that they get called out and, like, you're not wrong, but... You need to understand how these things get made at all. And that sometimes it's not necessarily the people making the film who get to make the decisions. Sometimes they end up with this problematic mess, which we should call out and we should talk about. And it should be a conversation. It's not about defending the content. But, like, let's remember that the box office doesn't determine really whether or not something gets made box real box office doesn't necessarily determine who gets hired it's whoever has the money that they're trying to get to fund the movie what their impression of the box office is and i was thinking specifically about and I was having this conversation with my with my coworker, and he didn't remember this movie, but there is that Ridley Scott movie from like ten years ago, Exodus: Gods and Kings, where yep. which I don't remember the name of until I had to look it up, and it's like all white people, yeah, playing Moses in that, and Ridley Scott got so much shit for it, and at one point he just said like, and he got shit for this, and I was like, but he's right, everybody, <laughs> he's like, I if I didn't cast these people, I wouldn't have made, I couldn't have made this movie. And I mean, you could say, I think it's a totally fair argument to say, then you shouldn't have made the movie. Yeah, and that's fine. Super fair point. What I saw instead was people say, he's Ridley Scott. He could have gotten it made. I'm like, it doesn't matter that he's Ridley Scott. The people with the money do not give a shit that he's Ridley Scott. Like, they're more likely to listen to him in the first place. But the people with the money are like, yeah, yeah, you're Ridley Scott, but Ridley Scott makes this with Christian Bale. Ridley Scott makes this with these people. And, you know, he could have. He, I don't think he did. I don't think he made a point of arguing against it, but. Yeah, I think it's fair. I think it's fair. I mean, my, my response to that is like, maybe, you know, I mean, mm. I'm not going to take Ridley Scott at his self-serving word is what I'm sure. saying. What, there's definitely tr- like, as you said, like, there's definitely truth in him saying that people don't want to hear it. He's just saying it. But that's happening, and and it's true, and this is what happens with all films. This is how people get cast in films. It's not the director's singular vision. It's art by committee to a degree, and the people with the power in the committee, the higher the budget and stuff, generally is not the director. No. 
That, so whoever can say I'm writing I'm writing you a check for five million dollars, you cast Christian Bale because that's who I want. Yeah, the gatekeepers are the people with access to money, even at the low independent mm-hmm. level, like friends of mine I have talked to about Same. like working on a much, much lower level. But if they're not self-financing it and like just going on Kickstarter and doing their own thing, if the second anyone else comes involved who is bringing resources, they start having input on what they want your movie to be. And a lot of times that input is extremely racist. Yep. And a lot of times it's, we need more white people in this. Mm -hmm. We need this to be less critical of white people. We need like, that's even, even on like the low budget indie level that's happening. And so when the stakes are higher financially, there's going to be even more of that because even though we had a few years of Hollywood being like, oh, people actually like seeing movies and TV sometimes that aren't just white people. So let's invest in a lot of that. Oh, and now let's cancel all those shows and stop it. Like that, that was a moment and now it's passed. And the backlash to that was like even more than Mm -hmm. I think what people see on social. So point being like, I don't, yeah, film is art by committee. The committee members with the most power are the ones with the access to the most money. And that's it. And when people are able to make a film like, I don't know, Thor Ragnarok, which we talked about a couple episodes back, uh, within those constraints, that's as good as it is. And as like, you know, anti-white supremacist as that film is, like that's an aberration. And it's, you know, credit to Taika Waititi, but there are a lot of factors that I don't even know that went into making that possible. You know, it's not like Taika Waititi can walk into any franchise and necessarily like make that magic happen. I mean, he couldn't do it on his next Thor movie. So, (laughs) yeah, I think it's, I think because I've, I've had a similar experience where, you know, I talked to friends who are like taking those next steps out of like, you know, I self-funded or I kickstarted this and, uh, you know, okay, I hired a casting director to help me connect with people. And the casting director is basically dictating who can be in the movie or who they should be casting or who's good for it or not and who they can get on their budget level and who they could get more. And they talk to producers and who the producer says that, well, if you get this kind, if you get this person then you can get this, then we can get this money. If we get this kind of person, we can get this money. And it's like, like, you know, I use the one example because it's with, with Ridley Scott, because it was public and because, you know, it's one of the few times you'll hear a director of that level say like, I don't get a choice in this matter. Like my input is not up there when it comes to when, 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 I mean, Ridley Scott, I think he has a certain degree of freedom in what he's in, in what he's doing because you know people will say like oh but he made Alien right but what has he made that's made them a billion dollars lately like it's they don't care that he made It's about what your last film Alien. was. It's not about your legacy. Nobody fucking cares who has money. People don't no. care. Other or than even... like Martin Scorsese or somebody. Like there are people who care and are like plugging away and doing their like world cinema project or whatever. Those are the exceptions. And that's but Martin that's Scorsese him. director. That's not a financier. That's not a producer. That's not one of the, you know. Yeah. Like he's also a producer, but that's, he's coming at it from a different place. Yeah. And that's him taking like what he, 
sort of, you know, whatever money he's gotten from from what he does and what he's engaged with and and turning that towards something else and, you know, good for him and other folks who do that. You know, I'm sure he was able to take however much he got paid for The Irishman and turn that into good for other filmmakers. It would have been nice if he turned it into a good film, but whatever. You know, um, we can't have everything. We can't. So anyway, but that that's just to say that, like, you know, when we talk about these and when we talk about, like, oh, this isn't very class conscious or there's something worth, like, breaking down here. So we're just saying it's bad and we're not saying that, like... You're bad. Well, I am saying you're bad, but that's separate. I'm just talking shit off mic about you, listener, and that you're a bad person specifically. But other than that, but not like, when we talk about these, like, yes, it is. He's being punished, and it's also yes, it's about the reversal of position. But it is worth talking about about like how that position reversals is reversed, being that he's. Being that he's in this more subservient thing, he's cleaning up. How is it Marty. humiliating without the classism? Mm-hmm. Exactly. It's like that's it's, how they. That's it's how not they put humiliating it unless you have the classism. That's what makes it humiliating is the shift in yeah. class location, and that you know that doesn't mean. If Back to the Future was a true story and I knew Biff, I wouldn't be pleased to see him waxing George's car at the end. Life is a rich tapestry full of complicated threads. Yeah. That's and beautiful what I just said. You can break that down. It's certainly words that came out of your mouth. They um, were. But uh, it's it's the it's particular it's it is also a very particular thing of the 80s which is very much about how like most of the 80s is very much about class because class divisions were were widening and it was noticeable you know it had it had started already years before it was accelerating at the time it was even if they weren't thinking about commenting on it they were still observing it and then they put it out there in the and participating in it yeah yeah it's It's true so that's what it's like pretty in pink like she's not popular because she's a poor girl and that's like that's the whole thing. And I mean, there I have other issues with that movie. Well, I don't think it's a problem that she's not popular because she's the poor girl, because that's realistic. I mean, that's realistic. I'm just saying that. But that's like what that. But then it's like, oh, but like she's OK. She has actually. the class ascension, right? Like I haven't seen that movie yeah. in a long time. But yeah, that's 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 a problem with a lot of John Hughes movies. It's not that dissimilar from how Ali Sheedy has to become like a prep at the end of The Breakfast Club. And it's like, what? yeah, why do we do we had to do this? And and the, the class thing. Yeah. Like the setup that she's not popular because she's poor. No yeah. problem with that. But then that. The happy ending is she gets the rich boyfriend mm-hmm. and ascends and, you know, without, you know, in any way criticizing like, OK, you're winning within a completely fucked structure. The structure is never criticized. It's just this is the natural path for the protagonist of a film in the 80s is, you know, just yeah. like we're all supposed to identify with them and think that we are temporarily embarrassed millionaires. And our character arc is also going to be to ascend class-wise like that's the american dream which you know it's not the reason i brought it 
up, but like also interesting about that particular movie is the original ending was she ends up with Ducky. With Ducky, yeah. Which is also which is terrible in a different way. Because Ducky's terrible in a different way. Because but... du- Ducky Ducky's an incel, but fun fact: a, a closeted gay incel is what Ducky is. But fun fact: the Babysitters Club spinoff series, California Diaries, that followed babysitter Dawn Schaefer as she moves back to California, and is like takes place like a year or two after the perpetual year of the main Babysitters Club series, where they're all in, I believe, eighth grade, like forever. Um, have many summer vacations, etc., and they're they're still in eighth grade. I think maybe they go from seventh to eighth, and that's it. But like, California Diaries took place when Dawn was a little older in California, and she had a friend who was very obviously supposed to be gay, but this was like the '90s, and they couldn't quite in a not even YA, but like a kids book series, be like this guy's gay, named Ducky, who was like the guy who hung out with like her and her girlfriends or whatever, and wasn't really dating anybody. And once upon a time, I was like, you know what I want to do when I grow up? I want to ghostwrite babysitter's club books babysitter's club and babysitter's club offshoots and other like teen and preteen series books that would be good and i did start writing a manuscript for the ducky comes out issue (laughs) episode book volume volume that's it of california diaries i did not finish it and i did not get hired by scholastic to write them and the series eventually ended but anna martin creator of the babysitter's club did come out in the time between then and now and so i'm sure that ducky was supposed to be gay and that that, ducky in that book and that ducky is superior to the pretty and pink ducky i mean i i i despise ducky and pretty pink and people will be like he he was like a good he was like what you wish the ducky in pretty and pink was because he wasn't in sully People will be like, but no, no, he's like that because he's gay. And I'm like, well, he's like, okay, that's fine. That that's why he's like that. He still sucks. Like, yeah, he's still awful. The 80s was (laughs) a rough time. The 80s was the time of like before nerd culture was the dominant culture. Mm. And nerds were still just getting shoved into lockers via pop culture for the most part. So to even have a character who's a nerd and also we're supposed to sympathize with a lot of people forget all of the like misogyny elements i think because everything was also super misogynist in the 80s and still is but like there are things that get pushed back now that didn't get much visible pushback in the 80s obviously people privately or in zines or whatever were complaining but you weren't there was no twitter where something could start trending there was no, mm-hmm. um, yeah, and certainly mainstream media hadn't co-opted certain progressive politics as a style to the same degree, you know, or they'd co-opted different ones. They'd co-opted like 60s aesthetics in lieu of substance. Anywho, if you came here for our read on Ducky from Pretty in Pink, congratulations. He sucks and I don't like um, did we need to talk about? We needed to tell these fine folks now that well, we've so been this is the end for of season minutes. two. It's the end of season two. Last episode and... was the last episode proper. This is just our little mm-hmm. mini wrap up to, to say goodbye. And we'll probably have some special episodes coming up 
soon. We're not sure when we'll do season three because things are about to get super busy, which is one of the reasons why we started to to wrap things up. But we do have a couple of fun special guests that we want to record some special episodes with. We're in process of scheduling some things. You have unfortunately not heard The Last of Us once you turn off this episode. We will be coming back in the coming months with more very lengthy discussions about films that we have a lot to say about. So if that's something you like to listen to for some reason, I mean, you're listening to this, so probably, congratulations. You're going to get more of us in your ears with, like Sean said, some special guests. We'll keep those under wraps for now, but... If you've liked what we've been doing so far, I think you're going to like what's coming up. I'm very happy to talk about some of these films and especially with some of these people. So, you know, stay tuned. There will be more coming in this feed for you. And yeah, but Um, if that's not enough, Sean, if that's not enough, if they want to hear more of our opinions about movies now I would recommend they consider visiting patreon.com slash the celluloid mirror, which is or no, four mile I'm, circus, which is oh the actual God. address. Yeah. Or, you know, if you want to go on a wild goose chase, you could go on the URL. I said, if you want to actually connect with us, you could go to the URL. Sean said, uh, which is slash four mile circus. That's our production company through which we do all of our projects. So that is the place for, all things Sean and Nicole, any new Celluloid Mirror episodes are going to get shared there first. There will probably be bonus Patreon-only Celluloid Mirrors that we will do there. But there's also a lot of other stuff there, like Sean and I both write about film and post it there. We have a new short film called Reveal that will be coming this fall. Our patrons are going to get to see that well before anybody else. Starring our guest, Alana Rafferty. Starring our guest Alana Rafferty, as well as Sarah Schufs from such films as Sean's feature film Meme and other, a lot of horror projects and things. And our, our pal Karen Fleisch is also in that with music by my, I'm told he's not technically my brother-in-law, but my family member. I think he's your brother. I, I, was I don't told, understand that. I'm not going to get it. I right. was told that my sister's husband is my brother-in-law, and my sister's husband's brother is not my brother-in-law. So maybe he's just my brother. I don't know. Eli Oberman, wonderful violinist, musician, songwriter, singer, etc., formerly of my sister's band and his band. It's both of their band. The Shondas uh, was kind enough to do the score for reveal for mm-hmm. us so there's some fun music in there it's animated it's it's funny it's scary something for everyone kind of or maybe just some things for a very specific something audience for very specific people but i but think maybe people you're, will enjoy you, maybe it we'll have a, we'll have a teaser trailer come out soon too yeah but you want to see that come to patreon you'll see it there first we've got a increasingly active discord where we Mm -hmm. chat about what we're watching what we're making what we're listening to etc so if you if you want to actually talk with us about movies that's the best place to do it we are decreasingly on social media because it's terrible and fucking shitstorm And you can't reach an audience there anymore unless you live on it, which neither of us has the time or inclination to do. So we'll put some links in the show notes. You can connect with us on Discord. You can connect with us on Patreon. You can try to connect with us on Instagram or Twitter or TikTok. We're we're there. But yeah, if you want, if if you enjoy this show, 
you know, if you want to support our work, we are we are struggling filmmakers and artists who are trying to make things in in today's modern world and subscribing to our Patreon is really the best way to support us like for as little as $2 a month. It makes a big difference in us being able to sustainably do things like this podcast and our films and our writing projects and my weird research projects and all sorts of other stuff. I won't waste your time talking about it now, but go to Patreon. It's all explained. <laughs> and if you like what you read, you can consider joining. Um, you can consider thinking about joining. Yeah. Yeah. Think about that. Think about it. Okay, that's enough thinking. <laughs> that was a standoff. I was like, I'm gonna make Sean gonna make Sean break the silence. I'm just not gonna say anything. I'm trying to I mean, learn. if you wanna play that game, I can I can play that game. I can play that it's game. It's the whole thing well. I'm working on in therapy and stuff, like you know, not feeling like I need to fill the uncomfortable silences. That's not my responsibility. I'll just let them hang. Someone else can say something. That that that's a handy thing to be able to do. Like and I've weaponized that many times. That's why it's uh, handy. I used, to, I, I used to do that with people on the phone when they'd ask a question. I don't do it anymore because one, I don't talk on the phone very much. But when somebody asks a question that I've already answered, and like I don't feel like I need to elaborate more, like, and I don't like the person, but they want more information. I was just like, I already answered that question. So basically, so you know, they say, "Oh, where's this person? They're not here. Where are they?" Hello? Yes. Where are they? Well, now we all know how to tell if Sean hates us. It's not hate you. It's just like, I'm like, I answered your question. <laughs> They're not here. Um, and now we're about to not be here. There's nothing else we need to tell people, right? That's fine. I don't think so. They 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 should they should do the Patreon, they should do the other stuff and I don't know. Do those things. things. Maybe there will be quotes, excerpts on this mini. We didn't discuss that yet. <laughs> Maybe not. Maybe I'll slap something, a little little taste of the finale on the beginning and end here. Maybe I won't. It'll be a surprise. Are you about to hear Johannes talking about Masking Threshold and Back to the Future? Are you just about to hear our theme music and our little like spiel about Patreon and where to find us? I don't know. You'll find out. Suspense, excitement, adventure. That's what we bring to you here on the Celluloid Mirror. You never know what's going to happen next. Maybe there'll be an episode excerpt. Maybe there won't. Good times. Good times. Well, yeah, so hope to see you on Patreon. Hope to see you on Discord. If you like what you heard, leave us a message. Watch this feed. There will be more things coming to it. Watch for Masking Threshold in select locations September 30th, available digitally on october 7th and watch for rots and nest at fantastic fest and that's it right that's it that's it all right goodbye goodbye
to where I used to get tickets to see things like Back to the Future Part 2 and what is it? Scrooged and what else? What else was that year? Oh, Star Trek 5. A few years later than it was where I got my diploma. <laughs> so well, for, and, for, and, and for where, where you college. ask yourself the important question, why does God need a spaceship? You know? <laughs> Nicole has ha heard me say this many times. Even this, I got that uh, yeah. reference despite what, not having seen Star Trek V. It, I have Which to is say, one of the greatest not, Star Trek. It is. I, I, I want to say, like, there's so much hate for for Star Trek V, but it. I have to say, the character development and some of the things that mm -hmm. happen there are really good. It's not. It's not that that shit fest that everyone like uh, makes it look like. Not at not at all. Like I'm I'm a I'm I'm a staunch defender of Star Trek V. I'm a big fan of it. I love Fox little. I, I love Spock's half older brother and. You know, just the there's that moment where where he's trying to where he's trying to say like like I'll take your pain away, and he goes up to Kirk, and Kirk's like, no, you can't take it away. I need that. That's something that defines who I am. That moment always stuck with me, like even back when I saw that movie for the first time. But anyway, it's, I it's could go on about that, but I probably shouldn't. <laughs> Star Trek Five is the reason why I, I I desperately wanted to go to Yosemite Park because the oh, opening yeah. shots are there with the with the hover the hover uh, shoes and stuff like that. And, yeah, yeah. And so so I, I kind of fell in love with Yosemite because of Star Trek Five. So it's yeah. That, that's a beautiful part of the film, and I'll always love and and I'll share often when they start saying when they do the row 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 your boat. I'm just like yeah, some yeah. of my favorite characters just decide to sing row 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 your boat in a movie. That's what they decided to do with the movie. I'm like perfect. Let's let's keep doing this. The Celluloid Mirror is a Four Mile Circus production hosted by Nicole Solomon, that's me, and Sean Mannion. Our theme music is Twisted by Kevin McLeod. You can hear more from Kevin McLeod at incompetech.filmmusic.io. Please take a few minutes to rate and review The Celluloid Mirror on your podcast platform of choice. It really helps other people discover the show. And if you have questions or comments about what you heard on the show or suggestions for future episodes, please email us at info at fourmilecircus.com or seek us out on social media. We are at Four Mile Circus on Twitter and Instagram. Want more Celluloid Mirror and more from me and Sean? Well, you can join our Patreon at patreon.com slash fourmilecircus, where you will get early access to episodes of the Celluloid Mirror, as well as uncut video of our recording sessions uh, featuring stuff that doesn't make it to the final episodes and access to our Discord server, Patreon-only events, and so very much more. To learn more about everything we do, visit us at 4milecircus.com.